Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day, but each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar who will be your host in this special reflection episode of Fake News. It's been a little bit since I recorded one of these, and uh, I hate to take long breaks because this podcast is so much fun to do. Literally, like I look forward to doing it, and uh, it's been kind of bummed me out that I haven't been able to record one for the past few weeks. Uh, I, hate, I hate to even get into personal stuff just because I'd even though I record the show, it's not it's not about me. It's I want to talk about things going on in the world. But there's been a lot going on in like my own world here lately. I started a new job not too long ago, and uh, that's it's been a little bit busy at this job. It's working for a radio station. And radio was actually my first job that I got when I was 17, and so it's kind of cool that I'm back in radio. I love doing media stuff, and uh, anyway, it's extra busy. At this time of year, we were we were broadcasting a uh, just in the past week. We were like we broadcasted a uh, a Christmas tree lighting thing in the in the park in our local community, and then a few days later we broadcast the town Christmas parade, and uh, the and then a couple nights after that we had our staff Christmas party. So anyway, there's been a lot going on just in the past week, and also in the past month uh, we've made an offer and it was accepted on a house, and so we're. I've been going through all the steps of getting ready to move into a house, and that's also t- taken up a lot of my time. So anyway, I don't like to even get into personal stuff, like I said. it's not, I don't want it to be about me, but that's why it's been so long since I could record an episode. And I haven't moved yet. That's in the next uh, two weeks from today is, is moving day, two weeks from the time that I'm recording this. So once I get moved... Uh, you know, there could be another gap before I have a new episode for you. I'm going to try to get one more out before the move. I'll try to get one more episode out by the end of the year, at least, if not if not a couple more. But my life's about to get really busy for the next month or so. And it might just be a little bit before I can get back with you on another episode. So I'll mention that. Okay, done with the personal stuff. <laughs> let's let's talk about the news. Let's talk about what's been going on. Um and uh, and so as I as I said, I'm calling this an election reflection um, because in this past week, we finally had the Georgia runoff, and this Georgia runoff was going to decide whether the Democrats were going to have uh, 50 seats in the Senate, and so if we were going to have another year of or another two years, I guess, of a 50-50 Senate like the last two years have been, or if we'd see the the Democrats win that seat in Georgia and go ahead and get a stronger majority in the Senate than what they had before. And that turns out that is the case of what happened. Uh, the Sen- the Democrats now have 51 seats in the Senate, 49 for the Republicans. And that means the Democrats can run through even more than they were before, um, in the Senate at least. They did lose the House in this election. But the in the Senate, when it comes to judges and and all that stuff. There's a little bit less friction now for them to be able to push those things through. Uh, Joe Manchin alone can't hold things up anymore as he was in the past. And so that's what we're looking at now for the Senate. Um, thankfully, with the, the Republicans taking the House, uh, they can stop a, a, a bit of the stuff that this administration has been doing the past couple years. But uh, the, the Republicans certainly did not have 
the big win, what they were calling the red wave. They certainly did not get that this year. And so I know this is a news podcast. Um, I'd like to talk about the news and how they cover things. But let's let's just take a few minutes and just talk about politics first. Uh, let's let's just reflect a little bit on why things turned out the way that they did for the Republicans. I know I kind of did an episode about that already, and maybe we covered it well enough on that one. Um, but after having a month now since then to to think about things and reflect a little bit more, I don't. I you know everyone says, oh, it was because of this, it was because of that. I think it was because of everything. Um, I think that uh, there was. It wasn't just any one thing necessarily, uh, although there is one thing I don't see really commented on much lately, and, and that's what I'm going to mainly talk about in this. But I don't, I'm not saying there was just one factor that caused the Republicans to not do so well. Uh, I think it was it was several different things, and it, it's things that we can point to in what's happened over the past year. Because if you go back to a year ago, right now, uh, things were looking pretty bright for the Republicans. Uh, you know, as in retrospect. 2021 was not such a terrible year for the Republicans, I guess, in um, in po- political or, or public opinion type of terms. Um, the, the president, Biden, and the Democrats, you know, they won big in 2020. He got the House. He got the Senate. Uh, just barely the Senate. But, I mean, he, he was in control. That party was in control. And they immediately just ran things into the ground. And so if you go back a year ago at this time— there was that election in Virginia. They had a governor's race last year. And Virginia is a pretty blue state. And yet, the Republican, Glenn Youngkin, he pulled off a win in that state. And so that was shocking. I mean, that was that was a big deal. The, I, it was like a 16% swing from what it had been the year before in 2020 during the presidential election. Like, that state went red in that governor race. And not only that, the lieutenant governor and the attorney general over there in Virginia. I mean, they they went red hard in that state. And so you go back a year ago right now, well, you're just it seemed like there was just a lot of good news. That was when I just launched this podcast. My first episode was Let's Go Brandon. You know, that was the thing going on at, at all these sports games and NASCAR races and stuff like that. <laughs> the, the public was just so against the Biden administration after their debacles in Afghanistan and what the, was going on with the economy and more people were dying of COVID with Biden after the vaccine than they were with Trump before the vaccine. So, I mean, there was a lot of hatred or anger toward the the Democrat Party a year ago at this time, so much that Virginia turned red in that election. And uh, some other good things, I mean, like Jesse Smollett, you know, that was exposed as a hoax. Kyle Rittenhouse was set free and, and the whole thing it was revealed as a hoax that they had tried to make him into this murderer, this racist. So, I mean, it was, you go back a year ago, sentiment was pretty high for Republicans. And what has happened in the past year that has undone a lot of that, any goodwill that they had bought with the public or the bad will that the Democrats had earned. Why did that flip back? Why did 2022 not go their way? Uh, Let's talk about some of those things. So I would point to the mail-in voting. I, I, I do want to acknowledge that as a problem. I'm not saying just because an election used a lot of mail-in voting that that means um, the Democrats necessarily cheated. I don't like mail-in voting because I think it does make it really easy for for either party. But um, I think it makes it really easy for, for a party to cheat. When you have all this this abundance of mail-in voting, but 
Why did Democrats do so much better this year than what was expected? Well, for the past two years, Republicans haven't really fixed the mail-in voting problem. They, they have not. That, was a, that is a problem that's going to cause them to lose. Not saying it's necessarily because of cheating, but mail-in voting does help the Democrats because what does that do? Well, when you just let people mail their votes in rather than ha- making them go to a polling place and vote on election day, rather than making them do the work of <laughs> putting on their clothes, getting into their car, driving to a certain voting location on a specific day, rather than making them do that, you're, you're letting all the laziest people in society vote. You're letting them vote right from home. In some cases, they bring the ballots right to your door, just have you sign off or check a box or whatever, and then they just take it and drop it in a ballot box for you. That enables the laziest, most worthless people in society to vote. And what party are those people voting for? Well, you can guess. You can guess because look at how much the mail-in voting is helping the Democrats. So this mail-in voting thing, I do not like it. But the sad reality is, in the past two years, Republicans have not done anything to fix this problem. I think they did do some good stuff in Georgia. Uh, you know, I'm, I will say that. Like, I think I think in Georgia, they have um, they did pass some laws to tighten up some of these issues. And people can still, I think they can still mail-in vote in Georgia, but um, there's not as much opportunity for fraud as there used to be. You can't say that about Pennsylvania or Arizona. Um, they rely on the mail-in voting, and they are, we have this issue now where they take days to count the votes. They took days to count the votes in, in Nevada also. And every time it took them days to count all the votes, what happened? Somehow the Democrats pulled out a win every time. A little bit suspicious if you ask me. But you know what? Republicans haven't done anything to fix those problems for the past couple years. The Supreme Court hasn't done anything. I thought the Constitution gave the date of the election. I thought that it said the date that the election was supposed to happen. The Constitution's pretty clear. So why has the Supreme Court not um, stepped in and said, hey, why are you guys counting votes for a week after Election Day? Election Day is Election Day. It's not Election Week. It's not Election Month. Why is the Supreme Court letting them drag this out? I don't know the answer to that question because I look at the Constitution. I think it's pretty clear. But I'm not some constitutional scholar. I'm just a podcaster. I don't understand it. But regardless, Republicans haven't solved this problem. Until they do solve this problem, you are giving the Democrats, with all those lazy voters out there that they rely on, you're giving them an advantage in every election up until you fix this issue. So that's one thing. That's one thing I think we can look at and say, this is a problem for Republicans that they either need to solve or I guess I guess they're just giving up on winning anymore. I don't know. Um, here's another thing that we saw with this election. I think we saw that there was a lot of turnout and a lot of positivity toward Republicans, but the Republicans who, who did lose this time around, because there were several who won, but the ones who did lose this time around were those ones who focused the most on 2020. The Republicans who got up and said, hey, 2020 was stolen, Trump's the real president, you know, and going into all that stuff. I'm sad to say nobody cares about that issue. And I, by the way, I know that sounds contradictory to what I just said before. That I was saying, hey, they need to do something to fix these problems. Yes, they do need to do something to fix those problems. But for whatever reason, the American public doesn't seem to care about the mail-in voting problem. 
the American public, it seems content to let that stand. They don't want to look into the issues of potential fraud or questionable things that happened in the 2020 election. Sad to say, nobody cares about that. So the candidates who made that a big part of their platform, you know, candidates like Carrie Lake, who I thought she was awesome, but she made that a big part of her platform. She was the candidate who made it all about the that she is the spirit of Donald Trump and and she's going to, you know, fix, she's going to save Arizona because, you know, to her, she's saying they blew it in 2020. Well, hey, I think Arizona did have a lot of problems in 2020, but that was not a message that resonated with Arizona voters. And it looks like they chose, you know, I know we can always say, oh, it looks like it was suspicious that there was fraud over there. There was cheating. Maybe, maybe not. We don't really know. Because for the past two years, Republicans didn't fix the problems in Arizona. So, again, are they going to fix it or are they giving up on it? So, I'm not saying these candidates who focused on 2020, I'm not saying they weren't justified in talking about that. I'm just saying the reality is that message didn't resonate with the 2022 voters. I wish 2022 voters cared more about some of the sketchy things that happened in 2020. I wish they were more upset about it, that it now takes a week to count the votes in Arizona and Pennsylvania. I wish people cared about that and saw that as a problem. I wish people noticed that when they do that, it suspiciously favors the Democrats. I wish, I wish, I wish. I'm not really in the mood tonight (laughs) to give you wishes. I'm telling you that we have now seen what works and we've seen what doesn't. And the the candidates who want to make voter fraud a big part of their campaign... Those candidates lost this time. The candidates who actually presented ideas and a vision for the future for conservatism, uh, those are the ones who did well. People like J.D. Vance up in Ohio or Ron DeSantis over in Florida. Those who actually had a message and a... The ones who took a moral position. You know, Ron DeSantis, he gets up there. This is why when Trump tries to attack him, he calls him Ron DeSanctimonious. Because Ron DeSantis actually gets up and he talks about right and wrong. He actually says, hey, it's wrong to try to teach second graders about sex ed. Ron DeSantis gets up and says that. You know, and as as much as I like Donald Trump, uh, well, not everything about him, but a lot of the things he did, as much as I appreciate a lot of the things he did, he was not the best voice of morality. He was on his, what, his third or fourth marriage by the time he got to the White House, and it was well known he... That he had regularly cheated on his current wife. And, you know, he's not the guy to get up and make the the speeches about morality and right and wrong. We haven't had a moral leader in the Oval Office for a long time. And that's why when Trump wants to t- attempt to run down Ron DeSantis, he calls him Ron DeSanctimonious, because that's what Ron DeSantis does. He gets up and he, I, I don't know if I'd call it preaching, but he preaches morality. He preaches that there are certain things that the Democrats are doing that are evil. He doesn't just say critical race theory is um, is biased. He points out that it's racist, that it's evil, that the Democrats trying to push this stuff in our schools and colleges, that they are perpetrating harm against our children. And so he gets up and he says that stuff. Those are the candidates who actually did win big this time around. Might just want to take note of that. That the, the candidates like Ron DeSantis who get up and they point their finger at the disgusting crap that the Democrats are doing, the ones who point that out, 
They are the ones who won big this year. So I think Republicans might want to take note. It's not just about, you know, do we want Trump to have a second term? He was robbed of the last one. This is his chance. He deserves it. It's not just about that. It's about the candidates who focused on 2020, who focused on the past. They didn't do so great this time around. And the ones who were focused on the future, they ended up winning their races. So I, I'm just saying this for the for the future for the Republican Party. If you want some advice, maybe take a look at these candidates instead of going back to the Trump well and just wanting to talk about what a great job he did and what great Supreme Court justices he picked. And and that's true. But instead of just making that the only issue, why don't we look at what worked in 2022 and what didn't? And just say, do we want to win the next time around or not? Okay, it's not about that we wish Trump could have got a second term. I'm, I'm actually saying we got to let that go if we want to win in the future. Doesn't mean you're wrong about what you want for Trump. Doesn't mean that you're wrong that 2020 had a lot of sketchy stuff going on. I'm not saying it It was it was all totally fair. The, the Elon Musk Twitter files thing is proving more and more uh, that it was definitely rigged against the Republicans. But when we just focus on the past, I think I think this most recent election shows us that's not going to get you more votes going forward in the future. That's not what's winning over the independents. And that's who you need to swing in your direction if you want to win races. Something else that was a, a factor in this election, I guess we'll call it the, I don't know, the, the abortion effect, the, the fact that Roe versus Wade was finally overturned here this year, that that perhaps galvanized some of the Democrats to be even more passionate and get out and vote in a year that, that, you know, six months ago, or I don't know, however long, I don't know how long it's been since that was overturned. I guess that was in like June. So yeah, like six months ago, maybe the Democrats weren't so fired up. Maybe they weren't feeling that proud of, of their candidate, of their party six months ago, because of how badly their party's been handling things like the economy. Maybe they weren't as driven to get out and vote in this election. And then Roe versus Wade was overturned. Perhaps that fired them up. Perhaps some of the independents who kind of, you know, generally the independents do want at least some abortion to be legal. Maybe that got them to vote Democrat when they had previously been geared to vote Republican. That's that's very possible. You know, we could see that that, that could have had an effect because that is one thing that's different this year than what we saw in the polls and in the news a year ago, whenever things looked a lot better for Republicans. That is one big thing that's changed in the past year. Maybe that lost some Republican support. you know. And as I've said before, if, if that was the major or one of the most major factors in why the Republicans didn't do so great this time, hey, that's worth it. <laughs> you know, I'll take that. I'll t- I would trade getting Roe versus Wade overturned for losing a midterm election. Like I that would be a worthy sacrifice to me. I would be willing to lose several elections if it meant getting Roe versus Wade overturned. Cuz the abortion issue that is the most evil thing going on in our country right now. And it was not going anywhere until we got Roe versus Wade overturned. So that was a worthy sacrifice to me. You know, if that was the case, I'll take that deal. Um but I want to be fair, I'll point that out. That could have been a that could have been an issue for why Republicans didn't do as great as expected. Another factor I think we can point to after a month to think it over is that there just were a lot of not very good Republican candidates 
running in these races. And I would say a lot of really poor Democrat candidates too. But um, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But we had some, what I'm just calling crap candidates. We had some crap candidates running in these Republican races. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. You know, I don't want the Democrats to have the majority in the Senate. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that's glad that Oz lost. If he had won, we would have had a Republican who was pro-transgenderism. I mean, pro—he was a Muslim. This Dr. Oz is a Muslim. Uh, he lost because he did. He was not a Pennsylvanian. He had very little connection to Pennsylvania. He just wanted to try to be a politician, and he picked a state where he thought he could win, and and ran there for the for the Senate. And, um, but we would have put it if he had won. We would have put a Republican Muslim in Congress who believed that it's great to try to turn kids transgender. Is that even a Republican? <laughs> I mean, come on. Is that he was so far from conservative ethics and morality and philosophy? What good would it have done if he had won anyway? So that race was kind of a lost cause from the beginning. And you know what? He didn't win. The guy with brain damage beat Dr. Oz. And that was just a race. It was like, no matter who wins that race, America loses, especially Pennsylvania. And what is wrong with Pennsylvania? Fetterman and Oz, those are the two guys that you put forward for the race. I mean, I know I said it last time. I'm not trying to be offensive to Pennsylvanians. If you're in Pennsylvania and you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're probably embarrassed for your state that Oz and Fetterman... That was the best you guys could do this year. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to attack Pennsylvania, but, but come on, guys. <laughs> uh, okay. Then over in Georgia, um, Herschel Walker, the, who is known for being a famous football player, okay, which doesn't even connect to me because I don't even watch a lot of sports. I don't, couldn't have even told you who he was before this election. And he's the one who just lost this week on the, on the runoff race in Georgia. Um Herschel Walker, who, it, this is what's going to happen when you guys try to run these celebrities. Sexual scandal after sexual scandal, woman after woman coming forward, saying he that he raped them or that he that he got them pregnant and then paid for their abortion. And well, you know, with these celebrity people, it could very well be true. You know, not necessarily not calling them all rapists, but the the other thing could very well be true that he paid for abortions. And then woman after woman coming forward and saying she had a kid with Herschel Walker. And, and yet, <laughs> despite having so many relatives down here in the state of Georgia, none of them apparently wanted to vote for him because he lost. So couldn't even get his own family on board down there. And, and that is quite literally true. He had his son, Christian Walker, um, is, you know, the gay activist who was excitedly supporting Herschel Walker several months ago. And then in the past few months turned and became one of his harshest critics. And just it was an embarrassment and a disaster all the way through. And it was no, it was really to no one's surprise that he lost here this week in the runoff. So the Herschel Walker saga is over. Can we just learn a lesson guys that it's not a great idea to um, run these candidates that the, uh, these are the, 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 the Dr. Oz Herschel Walker picked by Donald Trump. He, he hand selected them and said, well, these are the guys that, you know, he picked them because they're famous. They were celebrities like him or because they wanted to make it a major campaign issue that the 2020 election was unfair to Donald Trump. And that's why Trump endorsed them, because they wanted to kiss up to him 
and talk about how unfair the last election was. Those are the candidates who lost this time, guys. Blake Masters in Arizona. He wanted to make it about how how unfairly Trump was treated in Arizona. Blake Masters lost that race. Donald Bulduck up in New Hampshire. He wanted to make it all up. You know, they voted for the Republican governor up there in New Hampshire. They voted in a Republican governor, but they rejected Donald Bulduck because he wanted to make it a big deal about the fact that um, that that Donald Trump was not treated fairly. Adam Laxalt over in Nevada, another state where they voted in a Republican governor, but they rejected Adam Laxalt because he wanted to make the election about Donald Trump. Herschel Walker, and again, I, back to him over there in Georgia, they voted in a Republican governor this year. So the Republican voters got out and voted. Republicans could win, but Herschel Walker was tied to Donald Trump. So he went down in flames. Uh, just uh, the reason I'm pointing all this stuff out is just to say, if we tie ourselves, I, I love a lot of what Trump did, but it is obvious if we keep tying ourselves to Trump, the candidates that are most closely associated, even to just to have his endorsement is causing them to, to go down in flames in in burnout. And if you want to win seats, we will, it's, it's not, it's not, I'm not trying to turn my back on Trump and say, oh, just everything he did was terrible. I appreciate the good stuff he did. But as everyone can say, you know, it's obvious to everybody. The man brings a lot of baggage with him. He steps on a rake when <laughs> he has so many paths to victory. And yet he wants to go hunting for landmines and blow himself up all the time. And uh, we just can't keep tying ourselves to a man who wants to go out in the landmine field with a hammer and just keep hunting for those landmines. We don't want to just keep attaching ourselves to him when there's so many clear, safe pass- pathways to victory. Um, so anyway, I think the Republican Party is waking up and realizing this. I think they are noticing this finally. Uh, and I've been <laughs> I've been saying this for two years. And um, I, if, I'm glad that, that, you know, it seems like other Republicans are now starting to come around and say, yeah, maybe it is time to leave Donald Trump behind. You know, again, not that we don't appreciate all the great stuff he did, but he also creates a lot of problems for himself that are just totally unnecessary. Um, so just to recap, some of these things that I think are what we can point to as the main reasons Republicans didn't do so great this year. It's the mail-in voting, the candidates who focused on 2020, the abortion effect, the crap candidates... But there's one more thing I want to mention that I really don't see talked about and that is actually the <laughs> maybe the biggest factor in why Republicans didn't do so great is not just the crap candidates that are out there, but it was also the crap voters we have in America. I know that's going to sound really hateful to say that, but what this election showed me is that we have got a lot of crap voters in this country. And why am I saying that? Well, maybe more people voted for the Democrats this time around because more people are Democrat at heart. They want the free stuff. They want the socialism. You know, maybe it's not the fact that it was just, I think we're kind of clear now the divide in this country is so stark between conservatism and progressivism. It is so stark that I don't think people are as confused anymore about which candidate believes what. 
you know, the days of 2008 when it was John McCain versus Barack Obama and both guys were anti-gay marriage. You know, those days are long behind us. Um, there's such a stark difference in the two philosophies of the two different ways that this country could go that I don't think people are as confused anymore. I don't think people are just, you know, could be just easily duped into voting for one or the other as much anymore. I think it's actually pretty clear in people's minds what each party stands for. And maybe more Democrats are winning lately because more people believe in Democrat philosophy. So they voted for Fetterman, guys. Not just trying to pick on Pennsylvania. They voted for John Fetterman, who has brain damage. And it was obvious. It wasn't like a secret. There was that whole debate that happened in Pennsylvania where he couldn't barely string two sentences together. He couldn't even get through one sentence. I mean, they voted for Fetterman. We can talk all night long about what a crap candidate Oz was, but it'd be hard to say that Fetterman was any better. And this is a guy whose his governing philosophy is that he wants to get rid of, he wants to abolish prisons. He wants abortion up to the point of birth in all 50 states. I mean, this is a... <laughs> But in a moral sense, he's a terrible person. But then, even in a, in a, in a, in an ability to govern, uh, in an ability to do his job, the guy can't even speak in public. He had a stroke this year, and he can barely talk, and yet his state chose him. That's not just a problem with John Fetterman. That's a problem with the people who were who really go out and vote for that. Um. So I'm just saying, I, I, I know this is going to sound hateful tonight um, or whatever time you listen to this. I'm recording this late on a Friday night because I'm just finally taking some time to talk. But there's something wrong in this country, not just picking on Pennsylvania. This happened across the country that people are willing to vote for any Democrats after how bad the last two years have been. H have people forgotten that the Democrat Party tried to enforce that we all had to get a vaccine injected into our body that didn't even exist a couple years ago. They took a brand new vaccine that had just been invented and they tried to force the whole country to have to get this, this vaccine, to have to have the vaccine to have a job, to be able to send your kids to school, to fly on an airplane, to be treated like a human being. They tried to force you to get a vaccine that literally no one had even thought of two years ago. Well, I guess it was about two years ago <laughs> that no one had even literally thought of three years ago for a disease that did not exist probably three years ago. I mean, that is how radical the Democrats are. And so much of the country is not just okay with it. They support it. I'm going to have to call that crap voters. If they don't care about Afghanistan, if they don't care about inflation, if they don't care what Democrats are doing to free speech on social media, if they don't care about socialism taking over, if they don't care about the FBI just being an extension of the Democrat Party, if they don't care about globalists over in Europe dictating our energy policies in the United States, if they don't care about saving the lives of unborn babies, if they don't care about Drag Queen Story Hour, they are crap voters. And that's what really distresses me, that we just, maybe we're in a situation where 
55, 60% of the electorate that they just want all that junk. Is that where we are in America? If that's where we are, then that's a rough spot for the Republicans. Either they are going to have to adapt their positions on things to, to court the vote of these crap voters, which means make the Republican philosophy or party platform, make it, make it pretty just crappy to adapt to them. Either that or the Republicans just keep losing. And, you know, either way that that goes, it doesn't really matter. That just means America is dead. That just means the American experiment is over. Like if you have one side in this country who celebrates drag queens and having them go to schools and dance for kids in, in their underwear, if you have one side in the country who celebrates that, and then the other side of the country just rolls their eyes at it and accepts it and kind of shrugs it off, if that's where we are as a society, then then who cares which side wins? That that just means that America is dead. And if we're that far gone, I mean, then okay, to, to talk about 2024 and beyond, it doesn't matter if you get the best Republican candidate in history to run in 2024. I mean, <laughs> I, I like Ron DeSantis, as you've noticed, but it doesn't matter if you got Abraham Lincoln rose from the dead, if George Washington, if we got Ronald Reagan to resurrect from the grave and run for us again, they would still lose if 60% of the electorate wants Drag Queen Story Hour. Like, if that much of the electorate wants us to be teaching sex ed to kindergartners, if that's what America wants now, America's dead. It's doomed. Am I saying that we should just give up? Well, I, I mean, I don't want to give up. I'm not, honestly, I know I'm, I'm sounding like a downer today. I'm just, I'm kind of just trying to look at the facts, okay? John Fetterman got the majority of the vote in Pennsylvania. I'm not saying there was any voter fraud going on in Pennsylvania. Could there have been? I don't know. I haven't seen evidence of it. Seems easy that there could have been voter fraud with all the mail-in voting and delayed counting. Very easily could have been voter fraud, but I don't know if there was. I think he probably won legitimately. I think it was probably a fair race. And John Fetterman won. And he has brain damage. And he won. Republicans won't show up to vote for someone if they do not meet a certain standard. They would not just turn out to vote for Herschel Walker or Blake Masters or Carrie Lake. They would not vote for you if you were not up to a certain standard for Republicans. Democrats, however, they will vote for a stock of celery with a D on it. Speaking of which, let's pause for a message from our president. As, as I told you, if I had you running in front of me when I was playing flanker back, I could have been an All-American, man. It could have been big. It could have been big. Yeah, and that's who our president is. And he was like that before the election, too. <laughs> he hasn't got the excuse of having had a stroke this year. That's just who he is. And... Uh, so I guess the, let me let me stop here. Let's stop. Let's let's move on past the election reflection. I think I made my points. I'm not saying we should give up. Uh, I'm just actually just trying to say here's the reality. You know, either we we shift to more uh, a more of a long term perspective. I, I really think that's our only hope. We can't just try to run candidates who are just going to win this next election. Like we have to think about changing the culture. 
because the culture in this country is uh, so far gone. I mean, so depraved. When we have crowds of people showing up to clap for drag queens strutting around little kids, I don't even understand that. I don't get it. And yet there it gets crowds of people shouting and applauding. If, if that's where we are as a country, there's something wrong with the culture. That if we want to save the country, that's where we have to start. We have to fix that culture. Okay, um, let, let's, let's get into some actual news stuff now for a little bit. <laughs> let's talk about what's going on at the Washington Post. I don't know what's going on at the Washington Post. I think they've kind of lost their minds over there. The Washington Post is, you know, a, a year or two ago, I would have said the New York Times was the most biased, most blatantly fake news, either them or CNN. This year, I would say it's probably the Washington Post. Like, they're just radically, they're getting silly. I mean, they are so hateful of Republicans. And yet, it, who they do lift up and, and promote, uh, it's astounding. So let me start here. A headline from the Washington Post. The picture for the article is a picture of Diet Coke, just a can of Diet Coke. That's their picture for this article. And the headline reads like this. Elon Musk and the hardcore cult of Diet Coke. They wrote an article about Diet Coke and how it's a cult because Elon Musk shared a photo of his bedside table where he had Diet Coke sitting on it. In fact, that's what that's how the the headline started. That's how the story starts. Twitter owner Elon Musk shared a photo of his bedside table littered with cans of Diet Coke, reminding us of the power the beverage has. I got to tell you, when I saw that, I thought it was a parody. Like I, th- I thought it was just making fun of how silly the Washington Post has become. But I went and looked it up, and no, it is it's a real story that they ran. They ran a story about Diet Coke and how, I guess it's a, if showing yourself with Diet Coke is some kind of dog whistle that you're a right winger. That I mean, this is what they're actually writing articles about over at Washington Post. Here's another one. Let me just read this headline. This is a column by Damon Young. It says, I mask at the gym. It's the smart thing to do. Why do I feel so dumb? You know, that just, that, that was from November 7th, 2022. I'm just catching up on stuff over the past month. And I just keep noticing like these Washington Post headlines have really stacked up that it's like they're having an existential crisis over there. I'm wearing a mask, but I feel stupid. Why is that? <laughs> you know, and and to, to, I guess for our benefit as they're having this um, mental breakdown uh, and maybe a little bit of self-reflection for the first time in their lives, they're putting it all right out there for us to read. <laughs> so that's entertaining. Here's how they reacted to Donald Trump announcing a few weeks ago that he was running for president again. The twice impeached former president, Donald Trump, 76, who refused to concede in the 2020 election and is the subject of multiple criminal investigations, is running again in 2024, increasing the likelihood of a political rematch with President Biden. So pretty, pretty negative there, you know, the way to announce that he's running again highlighting all of the the worst things that they can find about him. Okay. Here's how they spoke the same week about a gunman who killed a bunch of people at the University of Virginia. Suspected University of Virginia gunman Christopher Darnell Jones, 22, 
had a troubled childhood, but then flourished. Okay, that was how they wrote their obituary, basically, of the gunman. That was how they wrote about this man who had just shot up a school. He had a, tr- he had a troubled childhood, guys, but then he flourished. Okay, and then he became a mass murderer. But just notice that. The same week that Donald Trump announces he's running for president again, they run this story that just highlights all the terrible things. You can just read the hatred right there in the in the tweet that I just read from, from them. But then the same week they tweet out this kind of just like, oh, that poor mass murderer over there in Virginia. You know, he had a troubled childhood. You know, just a totally different tone than how they talk about Donald Trump. And that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is like what is going on with the Washington Post? That when <laughs> when they talk about Republicans, they have so much venom and vitriol. But then when they talk about Christopher, the a mass murderer, they talk about his troubled childhood, but then how he flourished. I'm just like, what's going on over there? You know, there and that's what I'm saying about in this country, we have such there is such a philosophical divide between the parties that look, I mean, you know, no secret that the Washington Post is liberal, but look at how they, they talk about mass murderers with more affection than they do Republicans because they hate Republicans. I mean, it's just, okay, hey, I'm not a fan of, of Democrats, as you can tell. I have a lot of strong disagreement with their philosophy, but, uh, <laughs> Let, let me know if I ever get that far gone that I'm willing to speak more highly of mass murderers than I am of of uh, my political rivals, okay? And still talking about Washington Post, let's get into what's racist for this week. Everything is racist! Just another bizarre headline here from Washington Post, okay? Shark Week lacks diversity, and it overrepresents men named Mike, scientists say. Okay, so they're talking about Shark Week, which was back in August. I guess there's been a scientific study on Shark Week. And the conclusion from the scientists is that Shark Week lacks diversity. Yeah, so Shark Week is racist, guys. It lacks diversity. Also, it overrepresents men named Mike. That's a real headline, guys, from the Washington Post, December 5th, 2022. That's what they're writing about over there. So I'm just saying, like, there's something, there is something wrong over at Washington Post. I mean, they've lost their minds. This is not normal behavior, guys. <laughs> I mean, somebody get a fidget spinner for the folks down there at the Washington Post. Well, we got, uh, uh, you know, every time I take a few weeks off from doing the podcast, this is the problem I run into. I have a lot of what's racist for this week things to catch up on. So let's run through some of these. You heard last time that CPR is racist, but now... CPR mannequins are racist uh, from, uh, I'm not sure which publication this is, TCTMD. I'm not, I don't want to go, I don't even care enough to Google, go Google where that's from. But they ran, a head, they ran a story, CPR mannequins on social media have a diversity problem. An analysis of social media posts by organizations that teach and certify for CPR feature mostly lean, white, adult males. And and I'll just say, you know, I've I've noticed this problem too. I I'm personally as a as a lean white adult male myself, I I think it's offensive that all the CPR schools just assume that we're the only ones who don't know how to chew our food, that we're the only ones out there drowning in the rivers. Okay, why do they always have to assume that we're going to be the drowning victims? 
Daylight Savings Time is racist. This is from CNN. Daylight Savings Time sheds light on lack of sleep's disproportionate impact in communities of color. So they want to cancel Daylight Savings Time because it's it's racist. And I'll accept this one because whatever it takes to destroy Daylight Savings Time, I am for it. Whatever it takes to get rid of it. If we had to go to call it, we call it racist and then they finally do something to make it go away, I guess that's worth it. Um, dementia is racist, according to Business Insider. They posted about a study. The headline reads, Study finds racism causes black Americans' brains to age faster than people of other races, increasing their dementia risk. So, guys, dementia is racist, okay? Which means Joe Biden probably can't run again. <laughs> okay, um, one last story I just want to talk about before we go is that if you haven't been paying attention to the news this past week, uh, the Republicans have been pretty busy destroying marriage. Uh, so there's a new law that passed. They call it the Defense of Marriage Act, and it enshrines gay marriage into our law. Previously, I mean, it was already legal, I mean, here's what the here's what the Democrat Congress has been doing the past couple of years. Remember how excited they were that they made lynching illegal when it was already illegal on the basis of being murder, and it was also illegal on the basis of being a hate crime. But they wanted to pass legislation to make it illegal for the third time by specifically saying lynching is illegal. <laughs> so they passed that law and really patted themselves on the back for that. You know, this was like a year ago, um, and then. Gay marriage has been legal ever since 2015 when the Supreme Court, you know, sadly ruled that they had found this. Um, I say sadly, I mean, it's regrettable that our biased, you know, anti-constitutional Supreme Court, five justices, at least, decided that they had found a right to gay marriage in our Constitution, which is just simply not how the Constitution works. It never talks about gay marriage in the Constitution and if you, I'm pretty sure if you asked the men who wrote the Constitution what they thought of marriage, they wouldn't have seen gay marriage uh, as a, something that should be legal either. But anyway, it was already considered legal in this country by a ruling of the Supreme Court. Well, now there's been a law put forward to make gay marriage uh, legal um, in all 50 states on a, on a different basis. That now there's going to be a law and not just a Supreme Court decision enforcing that and so it passed in the senate with republican help because republicans had the filibuster still they could have blocked it if they wanted to they decided to go ahead and vote this in roy blunt the the retiring crap senator from my state who i you know would have said nice things about a few months ago but it looks like on his way out what he wants to do is enshrine gay marriage into law and so he's a traitor to the republican party and I can't wait till he's gone in a couple weeks. But Republicans have destroyed marriage um, by helping the Democrats, who already were perfectly willing to do it. They passed the Defense of Marriage Act, which is really the Destruction of Marriage Act. They passed it in the Senate with Republican help. It passed in the House, where they didn't even need Republican help, but they got it anyway. So what does this say about our country? It says that, that Republicans right now are are now in a place of where the Democrats were seven years ago. You know, now even the Republicans are voting in gay marriage. And this is what I'm talking about when I say, can our country even be saved at this point? Can our country even, you know, if Republicans are already this far gone, that, Republic, that Democrats got to a certain point on this issue 
And within a decade, now the Republicans are just dragged over there too. Or not just dragged, I mean, they're just happily jumping over there. I mean, if this is how far the Republicans are now, if this is how far gone they are, I, I mean, it's like, can our country even come back from that? That's that's. I guess that's just where I'm kind of at mentally on all this stuff. It's like, what's the point of even still trying? Like, why, why vote for Republicans if they're still going to pass gay marriage? You know, you look at the election of, of 10 years ago this year. It was Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama. And that was the year that Barack Obama, you know, here's what happened. Public opinion on gay marriage reached 50%. That happened in 2012, that the public opinion on gay marriage had finally reached the 50% threshold, that for the first time in American history, there were more people in favor of gay marriage being legal than there were people against it. And so uh, that happened in 2012, at which point Barack Obama decided that now he had believed that gay marriage should be legal too. Up until then, we never had a president who thought gay marriage should be legal and Barack Obama gets up and makes a speech and acts like it's this, you know, acts like it's this brave decision, this brave conclusion he's come to, even though he waited until public opinion was <laughs> till it was more popular than unpopular before he decided to jump on board with it too. So he wasn't really leading, he was following, but you know, he gets up and acts like it's this brave risky thing. And then the 2020 or the 2012 election happens. Barack Obama wins. Mitt Romney um, and the Republicans are painted as, oh, they're these people who, you know, they're just like the segregationists of the 1950s, that they can't get on board and support gay marriage, you know, and that's all we heard about for years after that. And then what happened this year? Now Mitt Romney, who very well probably lost in 2012 because he wanted to stand for traditional marriage and not jump on board with what was popular. Now Mitt Romney, this year, voted to make to enshrine gay marriage as the law of the land. He voted so 10 years ago, he loses the presidency over this issue. I would just love to ask him. I would just love to, you know, talk to to Mitt Romney about this. What happened in the past 10 years that made you suddenly decide that n now this is something that you do support? Well, it you know, it, and I I hate hate to go after the Mormons here, but Mitt Romney is a Mormon. And pretty historically, the Mormons, they've been pretty politically conservative. Um, well, I say historically, like, historically in the sense that um, of the past few decades, they've been pretty politically conservative uh, because they're more on the on the Christian side or more on the on the Christian philosophy, I guess you could say. Um, I don't consider Mormons to be actual Christians, but I mean, they're they they do they read the Bible and they also have their Mormon Bible, the Book of Mormon, the, the books that Joseph Smith had provided. And um, the the Mormons were, therefore, since they were had so many things intertwined with the Bible in their belief system, they were pretty against homosexuality. They, you know, they were pretty, they were in favor of the polygamy for quite a while, but they were pretty anti the other sexual stuff. Well, anyway, that's, that's uh, changing. Um, the Mormon Church, Latter-day Saints, they even they announced their support for the Respect for Marriage Act this year. Uh, if you look at the Utah governor, that, who is a Mormon, um, he's very, very woke. Like, even though he's, he's Republican, but he's very, very pro-using people's pronouns and pro-transgenderism and all that stuff. So what's ha what has happened with the Mormon Church 
in the past 10 years. I know I'm getting a little bit off topic, but this has this has been something in the news lately, and I think a lot of people are confused by it. Why are the Mormons suddenly becoming so progressive on sexual identity issues? And the the reason for that is that the what I think a lot of people don't realize about the Mormon church, yes, they have been conservative for the, for the past few decades, but they have always been a um, in a political sense, they've always followed what was popular in society. And so um, and <clears throat> as opposed to actual Christianity, Mormonism is very American. You know, it's kind of an American phenomenon. So they decide what they think is right and wrong based on what are the trends in America. When Mormonism was founded, it was very pro-slavery because it was founded in the 1800s and that was a time where slavery was legal. And they didn't anticipate that it was going to change anytime soon. And then whenever it did, you know, if, if when you go back in the book, let me back up. When you look at the Book of Mormon, I mean, they were saying that black people are under a curse, and so it's all right to enslave them. I mean, they wrote this into their founding, what or Joseph Smith, you know, his his founding texts, what he believed, what he told people were sacred texts. He said, and the black people are cursed. And then slavery gets overturned, and <clears throat> s- slavery becomes unpopular to support in America, and one of the Mormon prophets stands up and says, well, God has just told me that he changed his mind about the black people. And so then the Mormons said slavery is bad. <laughs> so they just change with whatever's popular. They've always been that way. And you look at American society and what's popular right now. Uh, you know, it's Pride Month every month of the year nowadays. Rainbows everywhere. And that that's just where we are as a society. So anyway, that I think that would be the explanation for why Mitt Romney is now finding himself on the other side of this issue that might have cost him the election a decade ago. Now he's in favor of gay marriage. His whole his whole religion is in favor of gay marriage and all that stuff. Um, so uh, anyway, to, to kind of get back to where we are, though, can our country even be saved when they are this far gone? Uh, could we ever get back to um, truth and morality in this culture instead of everyone just doing what makes them feel good? You know, the, the the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And what we're seeing right now is that um, the, the, the country's foundations of—and what is our foundation? Well, our foundation was, was a moral philosophy, a biblical morality. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be Christian to live here, but we did follow a, a Christian ethic when it came to our laws. Um, we, we followed a Western ethic. We, we had a constitution that we used to guide uh, how we ruled this country. You know, yes, we had some problems in our country, but we worked them out constitutionally and we worked them out in congruence with the Western and Christian ethic. You know, when it, when it came to slavery, it, it wasn't just that the Christians were standing up and saying slavery is wrong. The other side didn't stand up and say, oh, well, um, who cares what Christianity says about slavery? No, they didn't do that. They didn't just stand up and say, well, who cares what the Bible says about slavery? No, they stood up and they tried to make a case from the Bible to support slavery. They tried, they tried to make a case from the Bible to support um, enslaving black people on the basis of their race. And and so what all I'm saying, you know, I don't agree with their position, but it was a good thing that both sides were trying to use the Bible to argue their case. And in doing so, they eventually reached the most biblical conclusion, and they set the slaves free. 
And so as you look back in history, it wasn't that there was one side in this country following the Bible and one side saying we should just throw the Bible out. Both sides always tried to make their case on the basis of the Bible. We even go back 10 or 15 years ago as we started to see the rise of socialism again in America. And even then there were people trying to make the case, oh, well, Jesus was a socialist. So, you know, everyone wanted to have this respect for the Bible and wanted to have this respect for um, our Christian and Western, Judeo-Christian, you know, mindset. Uh, but that is not what you see going on right now in this country. You you have one side that kind of stands on the Bible and yet is afraid to admit it. And you have another side who says, throw the Bible out. We don't need that anymore. It's It's irrelevant. It doesn't have anything to do with how we want to run our country now. On the Constitution matter, you have one side that wants to stand on the Constitution and says, okay, well, here's how we do things. We have a history. We have a tradition in this country. This is the document that our founding fathers gave us, and this is how we conduct our society. And you have another side saying, oh, those men were racist. What do they know about anything? Uh, And their Constitution's racist, and we should just throw it out and start a new one. It, it It used to be both sides were looking at the Constitution and trying to follow what it said to the best that they could. They might disagree sometimes, but they tried to make their arguments on the basis of the Constitution. Whereas now, you have one side who couldn't care less what the Constitution says or doesn't say. If they want gay marriage, they'll just pretend that they found gay marriage in the Constitution. If they want abortion, they'll just pretend that they found abortion in the Constitution. Um, If they want to force a vaccine on everybody, they'll just pretend that they found a right to do that in the Constitution. We have one side in this country who cares about our history and our founding and our way that we've always done things. And you have a side who is totally open about the fact that they would love to tear up that foundation and create a new one. And they and what I'm saying, guys, the bad news, the worst news of the night, they might have the majority right now in this country, which means our fate is pretty much sealed if we don't change this culture. And that's going to take a while. So we better get to work. Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor, just reminding you, if you hear anybody say that they played flanker back in high school, that's just fake news. Okay.